If you have your Bible with you, or however you, whether you've got it in paper or as an electronic device, you can turn to Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. Yeah, Malachi chapter, hey, we got a shout out for Malachi chapter 3. That's awesome. Well, a little bit of humor with that is he's the only Italian prophet in the Bible. Malachi, the Italian prophet. There's no disrespect to the Lord's word, but it's a little bit of pastoral humor there. I'm all week. I'm here all week. So over our our preaching series this last number of weeks, we've been focusing on what it means to be a, a godly steward of the resources that we've been given by the one who owns everything. Last week, Norm spoke about what it means to to live freely and generously with our time, our talents, our treasure, because our Heavenly Father, the one who even John was praying this morning for our offering, he didn't even withhold his own son from us. That gives us a perspective of how we're meant to give and invest in the world around us as well. We've reminded ourselves, God's actually the source of our supply. Jesus owns everything that we have. He's the Lord. He's our master, not us. Uh, we're stewards. We're not owners of what we have. We, we're simply stewards who spend and save and give the resources that we've been entrusted as Jesus directs us. Everything we have and the way that we use it is a means of honoring and worshiping God. And one of the most challenging things that we've been entrusted is money. So today, in the context of our stewardship series, I'm asking the question, okay, what about stewarding money? So I want to focus specifically on the financial resources that we have, whether you have a lot or whether you have very little. And we're going to look at how God's asked us to look after what he's given to us. Uh, just as, as money can, kinda, can get in the way of our relationship with God when it's incorrectly used, it can also actually reflect a vitality in our relationship with God when it's properly used. Uh, money can actually be a means of honoring God, worshiping God. It's an act of worship. Uh, in Proverbs, we're actually commanded to give of our first fruits to the Lord. So we're going to camp on this for a while and, and ask ourselves, well, does the Bible teach us how we can honor God with our resources? And the answer is, yes, it does. One of the main financial ways that a Christ follower honors God is through our tithes and through our offerings and learning to be totally free to give this way. Sometimes we get uncomfortable talking about this subject, but you know what? We actually, just like any other aspect of our discipleship, we need to remind ourselves about things like this once in a while because it's easy for us to get distracted by such a powerful resource like money. Um, the gravitational pull of money always tends to be towards three people in our lives. Me, myself, and I. That tends to always be the gravitational well of money. Uh, and that's the opposite of a kingdom mindset, of the mind of a Christ follower. So we're simply going to look at what the Bible teaches and ask the Lord to use that to open our understanding to shape our lives as stewards today. So let's read Malachi chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. How would you like it if God said that to you? I don't change, and because of that, 
you're going to be spared. That's what he's saying to the people of Israel. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, well, how? How shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, well, Lord, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the fields shall not fail to bear says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. There's something within this passage of Scripture. We're going to unlock four things that Malachi teaches us about the nature of our tithes and our offerings before the Lord and how seriously God actually takes those things. It was serious enough that God actually chose to speak through one of his prophets to the people of Israel. He said, look what you're doing. I'm calling you. Return back to me. Come back. Come back to the way I, I told you to follow me. One of the aspects, this is, the bank account is, is dry because of, of the things that you've chosen to do. Come back to me. Uh, there's a curse over you because of this. I want freedom. I want life. I want there to be food in my house. Turn back to me. So one of the things, the first things that we see in this passage about the nature of tithing, well, tithing is an act of obedience. Verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. The tithe, it's an old-fashioned term that simply means a tenth or 10% in our language today. Giving a tenth was the practice of Israel. It was the mark of them being a chosen people to dedicate every tenth of their increase, whatever came into their household, to God. So that meant every tenth lamb, every tenth calf, every tenth measure of wheat, every tenth skin or bottle of wine. That was given back to God. It was just by default. And why did they do such a strange thing? Well, because it wasn't theirs to keep. It belonged to to God. In Leviticus, it says, Thus all the tithe of the land, it's the Lord's, and it's holy to the Lord. That's why the prophet Malachi was rebuking the people of Israel for withholding their tithe in the strongest way when he says, Will you rob God? You're robbing God in those tithes and those offerings, not coming in. Israel had broken a command of God, and And God was actually bringing correction through one of his prophets. But did you notice the grammar in this verse 10? It says, bring the whole tithe. That's an imperative word, a verb, meaning the tithing wasn't just a suggestion or an option, but it was an instruction. It was a command. It was something to be obeyed. And when we tithe... In one sense, we're not giving at all. We're only giving back to God what already belongs to him. 
He's asked for it. But how did they actually give it? Well, let's look again. In the Old Testament, they actually physically gave it to God's representatives, the Levites. Uh, There were a whole tribe that were set apart by God and Moses from all the other tribes of Israel to minister to God in the temple for the people. And the Levites, well, they sang and they worshipped 24-7 round the clock at the temple. They were the only ones who were able to be priests at the temple. Uh, They were the only ones able to offer sacrifices at the temple. They're the ones who taught the law. And the tithe that people brought in actually released the Levites to minister to the Lord and to the spiritual needs of the people. Their, their job wasn't to farm, it wasn't to hunt, it wasn't to make stuff. The tithe was one of the things that sustained them in their priestly role. And where did they actually give it? Well, they brought it to the central sanctuary of the temple, which in David's time was in Jerusalem. And Malachi puts it like this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. The storehouse was the place that they were spiritually fed and cared for. The Israelites weren't free to distribute their tithe as they wished. It was actually directed to a specific place for a specific purpose. And if we put that together, we might say that this tithe, this tenth, this first tenth of all we have, is a holy portion that is given in obedience to the Lord, but it's actually directed into the local church for that specific purpose of releasing men and women to serve and to minister to the Lord and to people. So I need to pause here just for a moment. Because there's something that I found has often been a confusion in the church and actually to the detriment of the church. There's a lot of fantastic places to work and partner with and give towards in the kingdom of God. There's no end to the opportunities to give. And in your homes, let me be clear, you're the ones, not me, who decides where your resources will joyfully go. Um, However, there is a difference between a tithe and an offering. Uh, To function according to its design, the tithe is is meant to be brought into the storehouse of that local place where you're fed, where you're ministered to in the body of Christ. It's a, it's a principle of scripture, and I, I want that blessing to flow in your life because you're simply being obedient to God's word. And when you give this way, it actually releases a blessing into your life and into the body of Christ. I mean, here at Gateway, we... One of the things we believe is that Jesus actually calls us to fit into local churches. The place where you do daily life with other believers, where you learn, where you grow, where you invest, where you serve. And God's designed it so that when every member of that local expression of faith participates according to God's principles, then those local works, whatever they might be, financial or otherwise, they're multiplied And they actually join and connect in with the tapestry. I look at that map, right, and get the vision in in my mind of all these these little pins in in the map back there uh, and everybody doing their their local part of what God's called them to do and how that's all connected across the globe. And once you've been obedient with that tithe, that's when offerings then kick in. 
An offering is actually what you decide in your heart to give over and above that tithe to whether they're things inside or outside of, the ch- of your local church. You know, bless you. I know there are many of you here who, who uh, invest in other ministries and causes and people who are working globally out in, in the field. Uh, but my encouragement and my, uh, my exhortation to you is don't divide and fragment your tithe, what God's actually asked you to give to him. A practical illustration, I suppose, for us today is even normal talking about the pledge for uh, getting rid of our debt, just to see how we as a body, well, is there something, Lord, if, what, are we doing our part in that? Uh, we might not be the whole part of that. Maybe the Lord has other ways uh, to deal with that as well. But, Lord, we want to come to ourselves first to see and ask you, um, but the offering that we're taking up to pay off that building mortgage and that debt is just that. It's an offering where people should feel absolutely free to participate or not as they feel led by the Lord. It's outside. In one sense, it's over and above the, the normal operations of the day-to-day life and rhythm of what we would do in a church year. So if the Lord's speaking to you about making a contribution or a pledge... Well, then I just want to encourage you. Follow the principle of making sure it's an offering over and above what you might already give as a regular tithe on a giving and on a regular basis. Some people will say, well, but but pastor, aren't aren't we all part of the body of Christ? You know, I get fed in a whole bunch of different places. Isn't it just one big storehouse? Well, in a sense, yes. (laughs) But the Lord has designed and planned the work of the kingdom to be accomplished through the local church. He's placed you here not just for worship and community and partnership and relationship. He's he's placed you here to invest your time, your talents, your resources into this local expression of what God's actually connecting to the world around us. I guess in a very practical sense, if everybody divides up their tithe however they see fit, everything gets watered down and less is accomplished. Less ministry life of the church actually moves forward as resources are diverted and choked off. Sometimes this makes people feel uncomfortable, but I think it's just something we need to just say, hey, this is part of doing life in a church, part of being a family together. So that's the first thing, that tithing is an act of obedience. But even more importantly, tithing, the second thing, is an act of worship. In Malachi 7, uh, 3, verse 7 and 8, says, He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may... Oh, I've got the wrong verses there for you, but... So that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But how, you say, how shall we return? in tithes and offerings. This concept of of being holy before the Lord and in worship before the Lord, it does include our finances as well. And in the context, Malachi is actually challenging Israel so that they make acceptable offerings and become close to God once again. See, tithing isn't about paying your dues or just making a charitable donation. It's not even being generous. It's just kind of giving the base level of what God's already said, this is what I, want, I, I, I require from you. 
as well as being an act of obedience, it's an act of worship. We can see the, actually the clearest mention of this in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 20. Uh, they won't come up there on the screen, but just the verses. Abraham, he's been on this military campaign with his private army to go rescue his nephew Lot from his captors. The battle's been so successful that Abraham is on his way home with the spoils of war. And as he approaches Jerusalem, a strange figure appears on his path. It's Melchizedek, the king of Salem, it says. And his name actually means the king of righteousness. His title means the king of peace. Does that remind you of the name of anybody you know in the Bible? Well, as his name suggests, many commentators will say that this is an Old Testament appearance of the Son of God, of Jesus himself. I'm going to read this. Watch what happens. Now, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham at the valley of Shavah. That's the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was the priest of God Most High. He blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything he had. Notice the crossover. Melchizedek refreshes Abraham with bread and wine, and then he blesses him. And in return, Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he has. There is an exchange for spiritual blessing and refreshment that Abraham worships the priest. In one sense, he worships Christ by giving him a tenth of his possessions. Material gifts in exchange for spiritual blessing. You will see this again and again if you look for it in Scripture. Not that you're buying spiritual blessing, but it's an exchange. It's an act of worship that causes something to be released. And throughout the Old Testament, tithes actually become part and parcel of Israel's worship. Part of, um, and it wasn't that they were given unwillingly, but with joy, with gladness, actually with celebration. It's one of the things I, I love here that I guess has been cultivated in our atmosphere as a church body over the years. That when we take up an offering, you can tell there's a lightness. There's people that, hey, we're ready. <laughs> we're ready to give. We're joyfully ready to celebrate as this is part of our worship together. Because tithing is, it's an act of worship that's a kind, that's meant to be done in a celebratory posture. That kind of spirit, it's supposed to be done out of gratitude in a free atmosphere of celebration, not compulsion or obligation. So that's the second thing. The third thing that we see in Malachi is that tithing is an act of faith. I don't think there's a single person here in this room who can afford to part with the equivalent of 10% of their household income. If you can, my hat's off to you. Yet I I know many of you that this is done in an act of faith, in the sure belief that God will actually stretch the 90% that's left over to go way beyond the 100% that you had originally. 
time and again, Wilma and I have remarked at how the Lord's provided for us as we've stepped out in faith. Um, Amber, I'll pick on you because you've been so public with, uh, with us with a number of uh, emails. She keeps, she's, kept, how many, she's kept us really informed of her time, time in Egypt. And by the way, by the way, we, we missed you sharing this morning. So I'm sorry for that. We, we, will, we'll get, we will get that happening. Um, the, oh, I just lost my spot. There we go. There we go. Yeah, so with Amber, she's, she's put out, here are, my, here are my faith goals. Here are the things that I'm praying for. Here are the ways that I'm, I'm choosing to invest in the way God's asked me to invest as a steward of his resources. And then we get the joy of praying and we see, she emails back and says, hey, this happened, this cool thing happened, this, happened, this answer happened. And I know that happens in your lives as well. Just it's not as public as a blog or a post or an email. That's what we're talking about. It's an act of faith. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. In the context of tithing, this is the only place in Scripture that we are given permission, even invited, to put God to the test. God has quite a track record on this, honoring the faith of those who have believed him at his word and took him at his word. I know there are people here who have amazing testimonies about how God's met you when you stepped out in faith to give. You know what, if there's somebody here who's struggling today with with this, from my own experience, I grew up in a house divided. Uh, My father didn't follow Jesus. He didn't become a Christ follower until he was in his late 40s. My mom was a a Christian. She's the one who took me to church with my sister. Uh, And it wasn't that my dad opposed us being Christians or going to church and that sort of thing, but when it came to the finances, uh, my mom always wanted to honor my father. She didn't go behind his back and you know, write checks to the church. She would always come and say, hey, this is what I'd like to do. Uh, are you okay with this? Are you okay with what I want to do? Now, she wasn't able to give everything that was on her heart to give, but she also had to balance honoring the Lord and also honoring the covenant relationship that she had with my dad. Uh, so I wouldn't say that giving was a regular practice in our home that I grew up with. With, nor was it something that I practiced beyond even putting a few dollars in the collection plate as it passed by on a Sunday. <clears throat> it actually wasn't until I got married that the Lord gripped both Wilma and I, I, I believed as a part of a sovereign work of grace, the Holy Spirit working in us, that one day we were convicted that not only were we not as generous as we thought we were, but we were actually withholding from God what was his. Um, we had not only be, been hard-hearted about giving, but we were actually living in fear that we wouldn't have enough if we did. So we actually repented of that sinful attitude that we had and the debts, and we repented of the debts that we had accumulated, and we actually invited the Lord into our finances to help us give with faith. We invited his grace into our finances. And it wasn't easy for the first while to make the change. We had to adjust how we lived. But I'll tell you, after the first year, 
we no longer lived in fear. And we began to have great joy in our giving to the Lord. Even when things have looked sketchy over the years, we've always had enough food on the table. Might not have had all the nicest things and you know what not all, but we've always had food, a roof over our heads, and clothes to wear. It's actually what God's promised for us. Tithing is an act of faith. You need God's help to do it. And the fourth thing is tithing is an act of warfare. In verse 11 of Malachi chapter 3, it says, I will rebuke the devourer from you. It's interesting. The first recorded incident of tithing in the context of battle was with Abraham. Enacting this transaction with Melchizedek while fighting was still ringing in his ears. Tithing is an act of of warfare. And Malachi says that when we do this, God will go to bat on our behalf and rebuke the devourer from us. Maybe you've met the devourer. The devourer can manifest in all sorts of ways, like constantly being in debt. Things like your car always breaking down, or your fridge stops working, or your appliances stop working at the most inopportune times, or unexpected bills are always coming your way that gobble up and devour your resources. Well, tithing actually introduces God's blessing and his mathematics, the mathematics of the kingdom, into your finances. In the years of the Great Depression, in the 1930s, the dirty 30s, Oswald J. Smith, who was a pastor of the People's Church in Toronto, something very curious. Many people during that time came to him for financial help. And he found something curious. To each of the people that came to him asking, uh, he asked the question, if they were believers, he said, well, do you practice tithing? And every one of them had the same answer. No. So he started making more inquiries, and as he did, he found and discovered that the people who actually were tithing, they might have lost their jobs and things like that as well, along with other folks, but the people who did tithe, they'd actually found provision. They'd been provided for and didn't need to actually ask for help. They were able to help other people. Isn't that interesting? If you want the sort of blessing and provision to be in your finances, break the curse, if there is, over your finances and short-circuit the power of the devourer by following after God and giving him his portion. So that what Malachi brought to the people of Israel isn't the same thing that God holds against you either. It breaks the power of the one who would want to devour and rob you of your resources. Now, you know, I mean, what I've been saying here this morning, not all Christians are convinced of. It's not what they're all convinced of that they should be doing as stewards. And at the end of the day, like I said before, you need to determine, not me, how you'll steward the resources that you've been given between you and the Lord. That's totally up to you. But I want to be helpful. I want to try to quickly bring up some of the most I guess I'd call them the most common objections to tithing that I've run into. And the first one is this. Well, tithing is just Old Testament legalism. 
And by legalism, people often mean, well, it's only part of the law of Moses. So we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus has come. But actually, the practice of tithing isn't actually rooted in Exodus or Leviticus, the books of the law that deal with that. It actually begins in Genesis, the story I was talking about with Abraham, the book of beginnings. And that happened 600 years before Moses ever went up Mount Sinai and brought down the law with him. You know, we might dismiss this whole aspect of tithing or giving as this quirk of history if it weren't for the people who practiced it. It was Melchizedek and Abraham, both of whom who are far more than just historical figures. They are types. They are archetypes. Both appear actually in the New Testament. Melchizedek as a type of Christ in Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Abraham, who is listed as a type of Christian, a Christ follower in Galatians 3, where he's called the father of those who put their faith and trust in Christ. So in one sense, that enactment in Genesis 14 is something that is an appropriate and timeless response of a Christian towards Jesus Christ gives, our great high priest gives spiritual blessings. And his followers, in turn, give him that tenth of what they have. That's just a corner of that particular objection. Another one is, well, tithing isn't mentioned in the New Testament. So it shouldn't be a practice of the church. Now this sounds spiritual, But it's really just fancy footwork to dance around giving. So two things here. First, to point out that tithing actually is mentioned by Jesus in the New Testament. In Matthew 23, 23, like the verse says up there, it says, he's speaking to the the scribes and the Pharisees. He's saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness, for example, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is actually saying, Great, you're tithing. That's the basics of what you're supposed to be doing. But you've lost sight of the bigger picture. You hypocrites, to think to think that tithing off of everything in your life, even your spice rack, is going to somehow make you more righteous when you've forgotten the basics of loving the people that you're meant to teach and meant to serve. That's what Jesus was getting at with these Pharisees. The second thing is to point out is that even though tithing is majored on in the Old Testament, that part of the Bible is still the word of God. And Jesus said not one comma, not one period is is meant to fall away. Uh, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. And what was Paul quoting? What was the scripture Paul was talking about when he was talking about the scripture that was good for us to follow after? Anybody want to venture an answer? The Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't even been written yet. Or he was in the midst of writing bits and pieces of it. That's what he was referring to. These were good things. Here's something that gets closer to our heart. Well, I can't afford to tithe. 
it, it feels that way. But the reality is, is that we can't afford not to. If we're serious about wanting to honor God in this way, we can reorder our finances so that the tithe comes off first. So that we actually live and not give off of what's left over. How many of you know that if you decide to pay your bills off of what's left over, you get behind on your bills? It's the same thing with your first fruits. If that first stuff doesn't come off for the Lord, it just evaporates. So I want to encourage you to step out in faith to actually rebalance your finances according to God's design. You might need to do it gradually. I understand that. The Lord actually sees your heart. He sees your posture. He'll meet you where you are as you step out in faith with each increment that you adjust. Whether you're single, whether you are married and you need to work that out with your spouse, God will show himself faithful with each one of those increments. Uh, In his book um, by Max Licato, uh, I think it's called, uh, what is it? The Applause of Heaven. He says there's four habits that Christians are well advised to cultivate. Things that are just part of our regular rhythm. One is the habit of studying. It won't be up here on the PowerPoint, by the way. The habit of studying, the habit of fellowshipping with God's people, the habit of giving, and the habit of sharing one's faith. All part of the regular rhythms of the Christian life. Cultivate this habit of giving in your life so it grows expands and actually can multiply. Every aspect of your life is meant to grow and multiply. That's the kind of God that we have. Like I said, it doesn't mean that we're going to all be you know, living in 4,000 square foot houses and driving Cadillac Escalades and have all the fancy toys in the garage. I'm not t- talking about a, a prosperity gospel that says that the more I have, the better Christian I must be or the more blessing I must have because of all the resources I have. No, we're just talking about about our heart of worship before the Lord and giving back to him what he's already given to us. And working on number three, it might require some drastic reordering or some discipline that you might need help in. If that's you, well, let me know about that. We've got some resources that can actually help you with that. Don't be afraid to come talk to somebody or talk to myself about that. Uh, Number four, Another one that's close to our heart. Well, I'm afraid to tithe. I mentioned that about Wilma and I before. You know, what if we get into trouble financially because we start doing this? Well, if if you're serious about tithing, if you feel God's been speaking to you about that, but fear is holding you back, well, put Malachi 3.10 into practice. Test me in this, God says. Do a three-month test. That's often at Gateway what we encourage people to do, to just just do a three-month test and see if God isn't able to do what he says. To throw open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows in your life. You know what? If, If that's you, one of the best ways to push fear out is to invite truth in. What does God actually say? And he says in a few verses, Give and it shall be given to you. Then they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's Luke 6.38. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, other things will be added to you. Matthew 6.33. Don't worry about what you are to eat or what you are to wear. 
Your Father in heaven knows you need them. I love that part of chapter 6 in Matthew. Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. He wants to help supply them to you. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I can recall a particularly difficult year uh, for Wilma and I with finances. And I remember, I don't know, maybe you've been in this situation before because so many of us are able to do online banking now. I was sitting at my computer looking at the bank balance online and I knew what wasn't in the bank account. (laughs) Worrying about how we were going to pay off the bills at the end of the month. And I knew, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me in that moment saying, Aaron, will you trust me? And I knew I needed to make a decision in that moment. Would I trust in what I saw on the screen in front of me? Or would I trust that as I honored, that woman, I honored the Lord with our first fruits, whatever he would bring in, whether that was a dollar a month. (laughs) Here's something I wish somebody would have told me about tithing years ago. Tithe off of what comes in, not off of what you think you would like to give. Some people, they have a job where they have a large income and they're able to do a lot and invest in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, something comes along and they lose their job, but now they feel like, oh, I've still got to keep tithing at the same level that I was at before. It's like, well, no, that's not how it works. You're actually just simply giving out of what's actually coming into your household. So if your income has dropped... Well, that will drop too for the church, for where you're investing your resources. If your tithe increases, or if your income increases, then your tithe can increase as well. It's part of the joy of doing business in the kingdom. I wish somebody had told me that, because there are people that have come to me and said, Aaron, but I've been out of work for the last six months, and the bank account just keeps going down and down and down and down. And I said, well, what are you doing with your tithing? I don't need to know what you give. Well, we're still tithing the same amount. I'm like, why? <laughs> why? There's a guilt that's associated with that. There's a, even if you feel pride or shame or something like that that's connected to that. Uh, be released from that. God's asked, whatever comes in, give me the first fruits of that right off the top. And I needed to trust that he would provide instead of what I saw on that screen And our testimony for that year, as we trusted, is every bill was paid for and more contract work came in that year than the three years before combined. It was a choice. Broke something. It was warfare. It was worship. It was obedience. It was all those things. So if you're afraid, bring that fear to the Lord. And ask him to speak to that. He'll help you. And the last one is, I don't want to tithe. (laughs) That's a lot of money. Well, at least that's honest. If you're here, and some people are, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to be willing If not, well, then there's nothing anybody can do because that's just a symptom of a hard heart. (laughs) 
But if you are, you can pray and say, Lord, I'm unwilling to tithe right now, but I want to be willing. Would you change my heart? And you will discover the truth of Philippians 1 verse 6. For it is God who works in you to will, to make a change, to make a shift. It is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. The things that we're struggling with and we go, I don't know, I can't do that. Ask for God's help and he'll provide you with what you need. In fact, none of us can actually tithe unless God gives us the grace. You need it. You need it. And when you receive that grace and you apply it, there is joy in giving. It actually unlocks profound freedom in your hearts to grow and to trust and to keep following this faithful father of ours. And then as our hearts are changed, as as they're oriented on him, and the Lord knocks at the door and he says, Aaron, steward of the resources of heaven. Reynolds, steward of the resources of heaven. Josh, steward of the resources of heaven. And whoever else, Audra, steward of the resources of heaven. Here's somewhere I want you to invest. And we're free to give, knowing that our investment, which comes from God's supply, will actually multiply like loaves and fish in the hands of Jesus. It's the way the math of the kingdom works. Whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, it really doesn't matter. But how you steward the resources that you've been given matters a lot to the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the way that you draw us to yourselves. Lord, along with the rest of my brothers and sisters here this morning, I want to come and bring you all of our objections, all of our different ways that that we hold things to ourselves and acknowledge that, Lord, you want every part of us. You don't just want some pieces and not others. You want all of us, including our finances. Lord, it's my prayer that during this series that we would welcome you into every area of our life. That Holy Spirit, you would come in and you would transform and bear fruit in each one of those areas that we lay down before you and open up the doors in our lives that might even be closed right now to you so that you can bring wholeness and balance and fruitfulness and joy and fulfillment and faith and grace. Lord, it's my desire. I I want everyone here to feel and know that they've found their place in the body of Christ, functioning as they've been designed, working in the field alongside others with great joy and purpose. And Lord, in this area of our financial resources, would you continue to help us to live out this area with faith? Not just as this other thing, 
but as part of the rhythm of our life together. Lord, I want to ask that where there are people here today who are in debt and they're drowning in that debt, Lord, as they come before you, swallow their pride, swallow their fears, give those things to you, admit anything that they might have done that has put them into that position. Lord, we know that you'll wash them as, you in, as they invite you into the midst of that debt. And Lord, I ask that even if they're doing that today, that from this date to the same date next year, April 2018, Lord, that they would see a turnaround because they've invited you into their finances. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be obedient and walk in faith, worshiping you with our finances and our lives together. And Lord, I want to pray a blessing over this people, over this people that Norm and I have the joy of stewarding and leading with you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for their generosity. Thank you for the way that they choose to give and to worship you with all of their life. Lord, would you cause blessing to grow up in their lives that they could never contain. Uh, Lord, as they give to you, that you would pour out over them a blessing that no one could contain. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives, and we ask that you continue to help us to will and do the work of Christ. Amen.